Tonight, we are going to take a look at the end of the millennium. That's where we're going to uh, go ahead and finish the series that we've been taking uh, we've been taking time to delve into. And tonight, the question is, how do mortals become immortal in the millennium? That's the big question. And so let's jump in and we'll take a look and see what is the mechanism that they can do that. Now, remember, we have already taken a look at the conditions of the millennium. We've seen that the economy is different. The entire uh, ecosystem that we understand today will be very different. And we also discussed the role of the of the temple in that time. So we're going to go ahead and consider. Um, we've already looked at the the uh, the temple, and so now we're going to take a look at what is the mechanism for becoming immortal. All right, so it's the river of life, and it's for the cleansing of the mortals. The river of life is for the cleansing of the mortals. Now we read in Zechariah 13:1. It says, "In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness." Now, if you look at this passage here in Zechariah. It has a future context. So the fountain is the same fountain that we're going to see in many other places in Scripture. One of those being Zechariah 14. And in that day, it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. Also in Joel chapter 3, it will, be, it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the bricks of Judah shall be flooded with waters. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord. So those are just some of the passages that we uh, have as a foundation for what this water is going to do. Let's keep looking. Psalm 36, uh, verses 8 and 9. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. So here, this river is coming out of that city. We looked at the city already. We discovered that the city is none other than the new Jerusalem, Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, that is the river that we're talking about. And so this river, it's the river of pleasures. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place. This is the river that's coming out from God's throne. We'll see that in a second. Je Jesus says in John chapter 4, But whoever drinks of the water that I get shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And God says back in Jeremiah, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God himself is that fountain. And we see this, that, that the, the river of life is necessary in, actually, in order to enter into the city. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now, there I, I put there MSS, which means manuscript. So there's a manuscript issue. 
and there's two different ways to read this. One is blessed are those who wash their robes, and the other is blessed are those who keep his commandments. So I, I've looked at it, and, and in my opinion, wash their robes is the more likely reading, but it, it works either way. But I think wash their robes uh, just makes a bit more sense. So we'll kind of run with that. We won't uh, get into all of the details on that text. That's really a different study. But um, so you have to wash your robe. And then once you've done that, you have the right to go into the city. And notice what the bride and the spirit are saying. Come, let him who hears say, come, let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. All right. So there's this water of life. Where is this water? Well, we're told that the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And we also see in Isaiah 12, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation from Yeshua. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One in your midst. This is a beautiful passage here in Isaiah. And ultimately, it's going to be fulfilled in Yeshua himself. Now, I, I want to show you a comparison between the river of life as spoken of in Ezekiel and the river, river of life is spoken of in Revelation. And I'm going to make the case that they are one and the same river. So when Ezekiel says, as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river every, or excuse me, very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, for this water goes there, that the waters, uh, may, waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Now let's examine Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I've color-coded these so that you, you get a sense of the parallel nature of these two passages so we in both of them we have a river and on in both of them we have trees on both sides of the river and then we're told that this tree will make everything or the water will make everything live and then in both of them we're told that the leaves from the trees are for the healing of the nations or they're for medicine so that's really the same thing you know to heal Medicine, same idea, all right? It's the same exact idea. And what does this tell us? Well, again, the traditional dispensational approach to this passage is that Revelation 22 is after the millennium. It's after the new heavens and earth. It's after the, the old earth has been destroyed and the final judgment. And now finally we get, you know, peace. And uh, we're in the eternal state. All right. And and the idea of being in the eternal state is that death is but a done, done, done away with. Everybody's happy. You know, there's no more sin. There's no more problems, etc. And yet what we see here is that this very 
clearly is saying that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Well, what does that tell us? That if you need healing, then there must be somebody who is still sick, somebody who is experiencing some kind of disease or death. And they're really parallel passages. Now, if you look at Ezekiel 47, you will notice that the water is coming out from the threshold of the temple. And that temple really does appear to be on planet Earth, not in the New Jerusalem. So there would seem to be a problem there. How could we reconcile these? And, and here's my suggestion. I've made the suggestion that the New Jerusalem is going to be a pyramid. It's a mountain shape. I would suggest that it's a truncated pyramid, very similar to the thing that we see on the back of the dollar bill. All right, so there on the back of the dollar bill, let me just uh, take off the screen share for just a second. And I'm going to show you the back of a dollar bill. Now, I know that you've all seen the back of a dollar bill before. But let me just go ahead and take a moment to explain this and to show what it is that I would suggest that the New Jerusalem is going to look like. I think it's going to look similar, not exactly, but similar to this. Now, people uh, left some comments in the in the, the last video. They said, well, wait a second, Doug. How can you suggest that the New Jerusalem is going to be modeled after something Satan has come up with? But I think that's the wrong question. I think the right question is, uh, or the right solution here, is that it's not that God is copying Satan, but rather it is Satan who is copying God. You, you've probably heard of the whole idea of as above, so below. Okay, That's something that uh, you find in occult literature, as above, so below. Well, we actually find that in the Bible. God told Moses to be careful to follow the, the pattern shown him because it's a copy. He was to make a copy of the things that are above. So as above the, the heavenly tabernacle, so below the earthly tabernacle. Now you might say, no, wait a second, that sounds awfully occult. Well, what I'm suggesting, it's not that God or the, the Bible are borrowing from the occult, but rather, rather the, the occult, Satan himself is copying from god let's think about it for a second you know we have to give satan some credit he's a very smart individual and he is the sum total of wisdom he's the he, he was at least the sum perfection of beauty and if he has seen the new jerusalem he knows that it doesn't get any better than that that's just the ultimate that you could ever imagine it doesn't get any better than that that's the perfect design it's the perfect everything so, because he got booted from the New Jerusalem, he got kicked out, as we see in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. What's his goal? He wants to get back to that place. He wants to get back to be king of the mountain. So, on the back of the dollar bill, what he's suggesting is that he is going to get back to be top of, top of the mountain, king of the mountain, all right? Now, Ultimately, that's not going to happen. That's his goal, but it's not going to happen. So if this then is a picture of the New Jerusalem, then this tells us that, that the New Jerusalem could be truncated 
at the top. In other words, this doesn't go up right to the pinnacle, but it would be God himself who is the pinnacle. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that this is a representation of God, but this is what Satan imagines um, himself to be. Okay, so something similar to that, but of course, in a very uh, godly, holy perspective, is what the new Jerusalem would look like. It's flat on the top. God has his court up there. You can read about that in Psalm 82. And that is where he is uh, holding his court. That's where his throne is on top of the mountain. So all of that to say that if the mountain is flat on top and there's this river that is springing forth from under God's throne, that is the source of the river. It's coming out from God's throne. Well, assuming there's still gravity, and I think we have good reason to assume there's still going to be gravity, that the water will go down. Okay, from what we've seen, the water is flowing, so that means that there's still gravity. It's not just all you know in space and no gravity. There's still gravity. So, of course, water is always going to go down. So, we then have this water uh, coming out from His throne. What does it do after that? Well, it goes and it creates this this. Uh, this mirror pool, all right. So it's so the sea of glass that we read about in in uh, Revelation chapter four. John says he saw a sea of glass before the throne of God. Well, that sea of glass it doesn't mean that it's actual glass. It's not you know sand that is that has been melted to turn into glass. No, it's actually a sea. It's water that is as still as glass. It's a sea like glass. Uh, it's a glassy sea, if you will, uh, because it's so flat, so still. And then, so what happens then is the water comes out from God's throne. It collects in this huge reflecting pool, and then it goes down the mountain. Now, wouldn't that explain some things? Because we see the reflecting pool as well in a lot of occult uh, literature, etc. Where do they get this idea? It's all coming from above so below all right that's their principle as above so below so it's not that not that we should go and try to learn from them necessarily but they're giving us a few clues because i think satan himself has actually seen these things and what it tells us is that it, it agrees with what we find in scripture concerning the descriptions of these places all right so the water comes out from god's throne it goes into the reflecting pool until it eventually trickles down and then it goes down the sides of the mountain and it makes glad the city of God. It then goes down to planet Earth. It goes presumably under uh, some part. There's a kind of a channel that goes through the temple that used to be in the New Jerusalem, but has been moved to planet Earth. And so the water goes through there and then it continues on its way until it touches presumably all of planet earth i suppose and whatever it touches it heals and on either side of this river is uh, are the tree of life all right now the tree of life is a little bit problematic in just the way that it is uh it is expressed so let's go ahead and and take a look at that um as we get back here into the powerpoint and uh consider uh, what it is that we're 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 discussing here. So let me just get that back. Uh, let's see here. All right, and there we go. All right. So 
uh, again, the waters of salvation. We've looked here. And so now we, we, we see that there's this river. Again, this river, it's coming out from the throne of God. And on either side, you have the tree of life. So the tree of life. Now, I would suggest that because we, we seem to have the tree of life, but then we seem to have each tree yielding its fruit. So my solution would be that we have uh, kind of like an aspen tree. And you have many, many aspen trees here in Colorado. Uh, but it turns out that they all, I think almost all of them, go back to, uh, well, I won't say all of them, but a lot of them go back to a common root system. All right, so you can make the argument that while you have many trees, they're all connected. They all are connected at the root, so it's one organism, all right? Uh, and they say that the aspen tree is the biggest organism on earth, and so maybe we have something similar to that. The tree of life, uh, we see different shoots, different shoots coming up from the ground, but underneath, they're all the same root system, so therefore it's one tree and yet many tree. And it's the leaves that will be for the healing of the nations. All right, so let's take a look here more uh, specifically at the tree of life, because this is for the transformation of the mortals. Well, let's go back. Where do we first find the tree of life? Well, of course, in the Garden of Eden. It says the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the tree of life was there. You might say, well, why, wait a second. There was no sin. There was no death. Why did the tree of life need to be there? Well, God put Adam and Eve in the garden as two innocent people. They had never done anything wrong, but they also did not have eternal life. How do I know that? Well, because the tree of life was there and because God says, hey, we got to take caution because now they could take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So therefore, they did not have eternal life. So when they were pre-fall, they were in their sinless state, innocent. That means that they were not going to die, but they were also not in their final state. They needed to take of the tree of life. But before taking of the tree of life, God wanted them to become like him. And this is where deception comes in, because you see, the, the trouble with deception is that it, it's not all or nothing. It's not all true or all false. It's always some truth that's mixed in with the lie. And that's what makes deception so incredibly difficult to spot, to discern, because you're like, well, that's true, but this other part isn't. And that's where Satan gets us, because uh, it's hard to figure these things out. So Satan said to Adam, hey, uh, you're not going to die. God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will become like him, knowing good and evil. And that's true, because what did God say? Hey, look, man has now become like us, knowing good and evil. I'm sorry, but I believe that being like God is a good thing. It's never a bad thing to be like God. And I don't think that Adam and Eve sinned in the sense that they were trying to be like God and that was bad. I think that was a good thing. I think the sin was they were not believing what God said because they were already like God. And the one thing that they lacked that God could not give them was 
choice or choosing. They had to choose. God gave them the opportunity, but he could not make them choose because if you make somebody choose by the very virtue of making them choose, then you've taken away their choice. So to be like God is to choose, to choose to do the right or the wrong. Now, God is never going to choose the wrong, of course, but to be a free will agent like God, you have to have the opportunity to choose. And that is what God gave to Adam and Eve back in the garden. And I believe that if Adam had made the right choice and he had said to Satan, you know what, we're not going to listen to you. God told us not to eat from that tree. So get out of here. If he had done that, that would have been a choice. Either way, either eating it or saying, get out of here, we're not going to eat it. Either way is a choice. And had he done that, God would have said, hey, look, man now has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, let him put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So it could have been a very different outcome. Of course, we know what happened, right? So the tree of life was there to transform Adam and Eve, ultimately all of humanity, into eternal beings. And I believe the reason that God uh, drove Adam out of the garden so quickly was because if he would have eaten from the tree of life in his decayed, degenerate, sinful state, he would have then been sealed in that state forever. And that's why God had to get him out of the garden quick, because now he was fallen, he was sinful, he was degenerate, and if he would eaten of the tree of life, he would have lived forever, per God's words here in Genesis 3.22, but not in a good state. He would have become immortal, but in a really lousy way, all right? And so for man's protection, God had to get him out. So now we fast forward some 7,000 years approximately, or 6,000, something like that. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So people that have not gotten their their uh, eternal body, their immortal body, they still need to be transformed. How do they do it? Well, first they go and they bathe in the river of life. They drink from the river of life. That seems to be that healing spring that will cleanse them. That's what water does is it cleanses people and they're never going to be thirsty again. They're going to be put into that innocent uh state that adam and eve were in on day six right so they're gonna be back to that original state but then they still need to take of the leaves of the tree of life in order to live forever so it's a two-part process first you need the the cleansing waters and then you need the healing water or the healing leaves to be uh transformed and to be able to live forever now, let me just uh, say this in really quickly. There is a, a, a misnomer that in the age to come, there will no longer be any time. But that is not the case. There will still be time. Time is a function of change. And so long as there's change, there will be time. And the only way we could go back to a timeless state is if God got rid of everything and he just went back to 
just himself, okay? Uh, that would be the only way to go back to time. So time is simply a measure of change. And we see here that there will still be 12 fruits every month, okay? So every month tells us that, that the moon is still around. And I mentioned that in the last broadcast, that the, the moon and the sun do not go away. They still exist. Their light is is almost embarrassing compared to God's light, but they are still around. And God even made a promise in Jeremiah 31, uh, verse 35. He says, if, uh, if the sun and the moon and the ordinances of the stars and the waves, if these ever pass away, if they ever go away, then I will then I will forsake Israel for all that they've done. But of course, we know from other passages that God is not going to forsake Israel. And so the sun and the moon will remain forever. We're also told in Psalm 148 that God made a decree and they it will last forever. He created these things. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the angels. They will last forever. Uh, they're not going to go away. So the sun and the moon are still there. Time is still there because there's still rotation of the planet. There's still rotation of the, the sun and the moon. There's still fruit coming up every month. Uh, so there is still time in the age to come. And it says, uh, according to Ezekiel 47, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. So this will be the way that people can be transformed. So again, in order to go into the new Jerusalem, there are two things that are required. You have to wash your robes uh, that they may have the right to the tree of life. So once you've washed your robes in this river of life that's coming out from the throne of God, once you've done that, and again, I said there's a there's a manuscript issue here, it's, uh, but I would suggest that really either reading will kind of get you to the same place. Keeping the commandments is a, a way to be righteous. Washing your robes is also emblematic of righteousness. So they, they both kind of go together, but there is a, a textual issue there. But it says, you know, so blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter through the gates into the city. So once you've washed your robes in the river of life and then you can take of the tree of life, once you've done that, then and only then, can you go into the city? So, again, this tree of life, uh, it was there in the Garden of Eden. God had to bar the way to the tree of life because they would have taken it and lived forever, but in a sinful state. But in Revelation, it will finally be available for those who will take it, and then they can come into the new Jerusalem. Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So this tree of life is there in the midst. Now, that right there, uh, unless the tree moved, and I suppose it could, but the tree of life, uh, if we kind of get a sense of, you know, if it's in the same place, then that tells us that it was there in the New Jerusalem, and it's still in the New Jerusalem. So that tells us that before the fall, the uh, the human or material physical domain and the spiritual domain were on the same uh, same dimensional plane, if you will. And so that's just an interesting little clue. Now we finally come up to the um, to where we started. 
the final rebellion. All right. So these are all of the, the pieces that are going to fit in to this scenario of what is going to happen here in the end. So we're told that they went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the beloved city. So what is the beloved city? Well, the beloved city is going to have some people outside this city. So what is this city? Again, Revelation 21, 27. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, so we're outside of the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 is all about the new Jerusalem, and you cannot go into the city unless you are pure. So if you're defiled, abomination lies, those cannot go into the city. We see also in Revelation 22, which are clearly talking about the new Jerusalem. It says, outside the city are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. So the new Jerusalem is on planet Earth and not everybody can go in during the millennium. Only those people who have washed their robes and have taken of the leaves of the tree of life are allowed to enter into the new Jerusalem. And for good reason, because if you were to go in there, I mean, first of all, that would contaminate it. But secondly, uh, you would be absolutely destroyed by the fire of God. So uh, it's it's dangerous to go in if you don't have a new body, but it's also it would it would defile the city. And of course, that is not going to happen. So we have these people that are outside the city. Nothing unclean may come into the city. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you, Isaiah tells us. So when, when we have this reunification of the Jerusalem above and the Jerusalem below and they become one again, then only the pure and undefiled can actually go into the city. No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh, shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. So you have to be pure. You, you have to be uh, among the group, a part of the children of Israel, in order to go into this sanctuary. Uh, we're told uh, concerning the camp of the saints, not the New Jerusalem, says, yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone whose sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So outside of the new Jerusalem, we're going to have uh, people living on the earth. Uh, we will have the temple. There will be uh, temple activities and everything will be set apart to the Lord of hosts. Every, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be set apart. Uh, that's what holiness means, is to be set apart to God. And so that'll be a wonderful time. So you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, set apart, and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. So again, you cannot be someone who is outside the fold. You have to fully come in. And God has decided to make all of this happen uh, in and through the nation of Israel. And I'm talking about the 12 tribes, not only the tribe of Judah, but the entire 12 tribes. And so you have to become part of that. In other words, you have to become part of the new covenant. That's why God says, behold, I'm making a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, 
and I will write my Torah on their hearts. So you have become part of the new covenant. You've become part of uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why there are uh, 12 gates that have the, the names of the 12 tribes on those gates. And that's the only way you can go into the new Jerusalem. There's no other way. Uh, you cannot be just Joe Schmo Gentile. You have to become part of this group. Uh, that is why I believe that we are now part of the commonwealth of Israel. If we've believed on Jesus, believed in Yeshua, then we become part of the commonwealth of Israel. And that is how we will gain access uh, into the new Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, that's one of the conditions that is required. It's not the only one, of course. Now, the question uh, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die at a hundred years old, and the sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed. So we still see death possible. Death is still going to be possible, but if you die in this time, you are considered accursed. All right? If you make it to 100 and you die, then you're accursed. If you die less than 100, you are truly accursed. Uh, there's something wrong. Uh, death is not the norm, but it is still a real possibility. And, of course, we know that there will be people who will make decisions for whatever reason they will decide that they're not happy with the way that Jesus is doing things, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and they will uh, be considered a curse. Now, again, nothing unclean is going to enter into the city. Um, so nothing that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are in, in the Lamb's Book of Life. So these are the people who are now mortal. All right, so uh, hopefully that includes all of us today who believe in Yeshua that we will be given our new body at his return. Uh, those who have died before us will be resurrected. They, of course, will be given their new body. We will all be sons of the resurrection. And then you will have a group of people who are mortal who have the option to become immortal. Really, it's not terribly different than what we have today. Today, we believe that Jesus has died in our place, and by faith we receive uh, the promise that we will receive eternal life when he returns. But, of course, after he is returned, then that kind of faith is no longer necessary, but it will still require action on, on everybody's part. Uh, we never see where God just doles out eternal life to people. It's always a choice, and there's always a path that people have to take it. Now, God has made the path possible for all, but uh, people still have to do something. So in the age to come, their act of faith will not just be believing in Jesus because Jesus is there. Jesus is on planet Earth. So in order to believe in Jesus, so to speak, what they'll need to do is actually get on the highway of holiness and start walking to Jerusalem. And they will then need to wash their robes in the river of life. And, of course, this is all presuming that their actions have been just. They have not been doing things that are, uh, uh, you know, abominations and lies and all these different things that they're not supposed to do. So it's still not by works. It's always by faith. It's always by grace. Uh, you know, maybe they'll need to uh, repent before they, they take of the river of life. And so, you know, Lord, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I lied. 
uh, to my neighbor. Uh, will you forgive me? And God's grace does not change. He will forgive them. Uh, but they can, of course, not try to fake it, just like nobody has ever been able to fake it. So assuming that they are, are repented and they are, they're good on the moral grounds because they've repented and they've received God's grace, then they can, they can wash their robe in the river of life. Then they are able, they have the right to take of the leaves of the tree of life and, and eat those, and then their, their body will be transformed, and they will then uh, live. Then they can enter into the city. Uh, so, But again, outside of the city are the people who have not gone through this transformation. For whatever reason, they've decided not to take part in this uh, in this transformation. And it says that the people that are outside are, are sorcerers and sexually immoral or murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. All right. So it's not just that you've, you know, you told a lie in your life. Okay. Because I presume that people with a sin nature will still make mistakes. They will still make bad decisions and they'll tell those white lies and sometimes those big lies. Okay. But they're not going to love to lie, and they're not going to practice lying. It's not going to be their their life's pursuit, okay? But those who decide to go down that path and live that way, then they will not be admitted into the the new Jerusalem. So this now takes us up to Satan's final assault. So let's just kind of paint this picture. We have seen that Satan was put into the abyss a thousand years earlier. According to my calculations, he is going to be put into the abyss on Yom Kippur. He'll be put in there, it will be sealed, and the door will not open for 1,000 years on the dot. All right? So, he's put in there. A thousand years, a thousand years later, he is released. Therefore, that would put us back on the same day. The same day. Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is a sacrifice that is repeated every year. The sacrifice has a one-year shelf life. In other words, the efficacy of that lasts for one year. You might think of it like uh, you know, taking some Tylenol or some aspirin. Uh, you take it, it lasts you know, for four to six hours, and then it wears off. Uh, or, or any kind of... Um, medication that you might take. It, it, it only stays in your body so long and then it wears off. Well, there's a similar idea is that this sacrifice that is performed on Yom Kippur, it lasts one year and then it has to be repeated. So for the last 1,000 years, the sacrifice has been repeated. And the day that Satan is let out would be the final day that this sacrifice is performed for all of those mortals who do not yet have a new body. And that keeps them from burning up after, uh, or that keeps them from burning up because the, the veil between heaven and earth has been taken away. So now he's going to be released. Now, I would suggest that while the Bible is, is very, uh, very frugal in the words that they give, uh, we might take a little bit of license and just imagine for a moment that, there will be people during the millennium who will say, you know what? We've heard about Satan. We've heard that, you know, he's not the bad guy, but he's actually the champion. We've heard that he's the one 
who has been trying to liberate mankind for the last 7,000 years. He was trying to liberate mankind back in the garden. He was trying to, you know, get us to see, uh, you know, good and evil and to to be like God and to make our own decisions. All right. So I think there'll be some kind of rumors that are going around, obviously a distortion of the truth. And then people will finally get to this place. They say, you know what? Let's get him out. We know where he was put in. Uh, you know, my great grandfather told me he was there when he saw Satan put into the abyss. Let's go see if we can find the key or the code or, you know, whatever spell or whatever they, you know, can come up with to try to open that gate. Now, I think from God's perspective, he'll say, OK, finally let him out. Right. But I think from humans perspective, from these sinful humans, they will imagine that they are the ones who are getting Satan out. All right. Now, again, that is speculation on my part. You can take it or you can leave it. All right. But uh, I would suggest that that will be kind of the scenario that's going to play out that, uh, you know, they kind of spring him out of jail, as it were. And it says that he will be released for a little while. Well, how long is that little while? This is what's so interesting. It says in Daniel, the rest of the beast, as for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now, the word time here is idan in Aramaic, and we see that the word idan is time, times, and half a time. All right, we see that in the book of Daniel. When we compare that with the book of Revelation, and also in the book of Daniel, we see two terms that come out, 42 months and 1,260 days. Uh, which both equal three and one-half years. So a time is one year, times is two years, and half a time is half a year, which is three and a half years. So he's going to be released, or these beasts, these uh, these other demons, their lives are prolonged. So their, their kingdom, their dominion, their power is taken away, but their lives are prolonged for a season and a time. So the season is the millennium and the time is the one year. All right. So that is what we have there. Now, also looking in Isaiah 24, it says, On high, the host of exalted ones will be gathered together. So this is talking about the fallen angels, the, the demons. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. The word pit here is the Hebrew word bor. And it's the same as the abuso, the abyss, the bottomless pit. It's the same place. And they will be shut up in the prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Well, how many days? The book of Revelation tells us it'll be 1,000 years that they are shut up in the prison. They're shut up in there for 1,000 years. That's a lot of days. And then they're released for a little while. Well, according to Daniel... They're gonna, their lives are prolonged for a season and a time. So I believe that we have good reason to believe that the time, the, the brief period, will be one time. It will be one year that they have. So from the day that Satan is let out, Satan and all the, the, the demons are let out, they will then have one year. And that's very significant because the... Uh, the efficacy of the Yom Kippur sacrifice will last for one more year. One more year. 
All right. So that gives him time to go around and to do that. Now, again, just a little bit more here on the time, times, and half a time. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints, that is Israel, of the Most High. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. So that there is three and a half years. We also see in Revelation 12, 6, the woman who fled, uh, Israel fled into the wilderness 1,260 days, which equals three and a half years. And he was given authority for 42 months. That's also three and a half years. So therefore, one time equals one year. So when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. So when Satan gets out, he now has one year to go out to deceive the nations. Here's what I would suggest he will say. It'll be something along the lines of, hey, mankind, I've been trying to help you guys. I've been trying to uh, free you from the oppressive regime of Yeshua. Clearly, the maker is out of his mind. He wants the, the, the stronger to serve the weaker. He wants the older to serve the younger. And, and that's just not the way things are. Uh, that's not the way it should be. If you follow me, I will restore you and your nations back to their former glory. And maybe he'll, he'll give a, a, you know, a, a wonderful speech about how back in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon was the greatest, you know. So when he's kind of pitching his story to the people in the Middle East, he's he's giving them, you know, their glory days. And then he goes to Greece and he uh, explains about their glory days and he will restore them to their former glory and all these different things. So uh, it'll be probably an amazing sales pitch that he will give to the people of the earth during that year. But these people are hungry. They They've been wanting him and waiting. It probably will not take a lot of cajoling to get them to sign on. And when they finally do, they're going to say, okay, let's do it. And the only thing that they can do is to go up against the new Jerusalem. And look, you've got billions and billions of people at this time. Their number is as the sand of the sea. So you've got a lot of people who have signed on to this program. And it says they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints that would be that area outside of the new jerusalem and the beloved city so the camp of the saints is where the the millennial temple is going to be and the beloved city well of course that is as we've discovered is the new jerusalem now i talked about the dimensions of this city uh, it's big. It's not as big as uh, some people have suggested, in my opinion. It's not 1,376 miles in every direction. Uh, what I suggest is that you take that number, 1,378 miles, and you divide it by eight because there are eight edges on a pyramid, and that would give us the uh, the sum of each side, which is about 192 miles. So still a really big city still huge 192 miles but it's certainly more uh in in line with the the parameters of planet earth it makes a lot more sense uh the gates are enormous i talked about how big these gates are going to be they're about two and a half miles wide uh so uh very very big and 
what are they going to try to do when they get there? I mean, what's their strategy? Well, um, here's what I would suggest. Based on this text, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So what would they possibly try to do? I mean, okay, you're Satan. You're really smart. You know that God is a formidable foe. How can you overcome him? I bet you Satan will be thinking about this for a thousand years. How can I beat God at his own game? Well, let's think about it. What is the one thing that God cannot do? He cannot lie. God is incapable of lying because it's completely antithetical to his character, to his nature. And so God does not lie. He's not the son of a man that he should lie. He does not lie. So if God has said that nothing impure, nothing defiled, no abomination would ever enter into the city, and you have all these people that have not gotten their new bodies, they they love and practice lies, and they're murderers and adulterers. Um, so these are people that are not allowed in the new Jerusalem. And God said they cannot go in. All right, so here's what has, Satan has to work with. He's got a bunch of uh, sinners, and they are not allowed to enter into the city. Now, he also knows that the gates of the city will never, the gates of the city will never uh, the gates of the city will never be closed. So you have a bunch of sinners running around who are not allowed to go into the city, and, and the gates are wide open. So based on that, he could construct a scenario where all they need to do is to go into the city. They need to get one foot into that city, and then they will be uh, they will have essentially a stalemate with God. So again, the idea here is you have billions and billions of people. They have surrounded the camp of, uh, of the saints and the beloved city. They've come around the new Jerusalem. There are 12 gates, three on each side. These are enormous gates. Uh, by gates, that doesn't mean that they, they have hinges and doors and stuff. But even if they did, they're not going to close. All right? So they're wide open. They're wide open. And he also knows that there will never again be warfare on the planet. God has promised that, that there will never be warfare on the planet. So based on all of those parameters, I believe his strategy is very simple. He's going to tell his people, here's what you need to do. We need to surround the new Jerusalem. And on my call, everybody charges the gates. And if just one person one defiled person gets their foot across the threshold of the new Jerusalem. We have proven God a liar. We've proven him a liar because he said nothing defiled would ever enter. So if we can, if we can contradict what he has said, then I believe that we can come to the negotiation table and we can demand our terms because God will be proven a liar and he will not be fit to rule the entire universe, and then we will have leverage so that we can say to him, you know what, you can have this side of the universe, we'll have this side of the universe. So I would suggest that that is going to be what, uh, what will happen there in the end. But what's going to happen? Well, let's imagine this scenario. So 
there they are. They're running toward the gates, but it is a one year later. It's taken him one year to rally the troops. So they are now coming on Yom Kippur. They're charging the gates. The sun is setting and Yom Kippur is ending. And just as they're about to hit the threshold of the gates, the sun goes down. Yom Kippur is now over. The Yom Kippur sacrifice of the last year has run out. The clock has run out. We've hit the zero, uh, zero hour, zero minute, zero seconds. And the covering, the atonement, that covering that was, that was keeping people protected from the very fiery presence of God is now gone. <laughs> it's now gone. And so, based on that, there's nothing to protect them from God's fire. And at that point, God, the fire from God descends and it comes down and it consumes them. And that will be their end. What I, one reason I think that uh, is a very likely scenario, of course, you know, we won't know until we get there and we could all, you know, see if my theory was correct or not. Um, but reason, one reason I think that it is correct uh, is that it does not involve warfare. God is not going to send out his troops. He's not going to close the gates. He's not going to lift a finger against Satan. It's very clear that there will no, be no more warfare. Everything is good. And I believe that because God is so amazingly gracious, he is giving each person, each human, to the very last second to choose, to change their minds, to do the right thing. And he's giving them up until that last second. And of course, they don't choose it. And then he doesn't retaliate. He doesn't uh, do anything mean against them. It's just the clock runs out. And then, boom, <laughs> you know, the fire that has been contained by an act of mercy simply comes down and it envelops them. It's consistent with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it says, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will be revealed, for it shall be tested by fire. And if his work endures, then he will receive a reward. If, if his work does not endure, he will be saved yet as though through fire. So that is what's going to happen to we believers uh, when we stand before God, that we will stand in his fire and any unrighteous works that we have done that somehow show up on us in the form of hay, uh, wood, hay, and straw will be burned away. But because we have a new body, we have the garment of salvation, then we will not be destroyed. We will be saved yet as though through fire. But for a mortal who has been under grace for a thousand years and finally has rebelled at the end and the, the covering of grace is taken away that was holding back the fiery presence of God, when that is taken away, then they are completely exposed and naked to God's fiery, incredible presence and they are consumed. This is what we saw happened essentially in Numbers chapter 12 when the people were complaining. And it says the fire of God broke out in their midst. And it was the place was known as Tavira because, because of the burning, the burning from God that came out and broke out among the people. And that's what happens when you're not protected with the with a covering from the fiery presence of God. So we're good because we have our new bodies. 
and at this point we won't be sinful but the people that are mortals will have not have gotten their new body yet and they will be susceptible they'll be uh to be exposed to god's fire if they don't take of the river of life and the tree of life in order to live forever and apparently there's gonna be a lot of people that will not take that option and they will then try to storm the gates trying to get that foot right across the threshold and at the very last second the clock runs out so that's how i put it all together i've done all this in my book the millennium chronicles if you want to check it out uh, i have a lot of fun details in there i go into a lot more explanation of uh, satan's thinking uh what he's trying to do i have some uh you know some protagonists who are are desperately trying to get to the new jerusalem will they make it or not uh that's the real question what is it like to to be transformed from a mortal body to an immortal body so if you're interested you can check that out it is on my website you can go to my store and you can get the the, the millennium chronicles so i wrote this as a fictional book but i did my very best to document everything and i have uh over 2400 footnotes not sure what i was thinking but i wanted you to have the opportunity to to go and to look up what i was talking about to see if i was crazy or if it's maybe based on scripture just a little bit i would suggest that it's based a lot on scripture uh and with a little bit of holy imagination thrown in just to stitch everything together but again the millennium chronicles uh it's a really fun book i think you'll enjoy it uh, you can get that on my website douglasamp.com forward slash store or you can go to amazon as well and you can get it there so at this point i will be taking your questions uh thank you for sticking around and i will uh take your questions now so let's get started all right uh yeah, cheers this is a good show on a complex subject thank you uh your thoughts on noah's ark discovered on mountains of ararat in turkey uh first fruit of the living water uh you know i don't have really uh, a lot of opinion on that actually i missed a few things here but anyway I, I don't really have a lot of opinions uh, especially not for this show uh, you know it, it could be noah's ark or not so i i just don't know until they really find the thing and they can document it very well i think it's all speculation so you know if they find a piece of wood is it noah's ark oh i don't know <laughs> you know who knows so i i just don't know what to say about that so uh if let's see here if someone commits a sin in the new jerusalem you said they will be cursed what will happen no nobody will be able to sin in the new jerusalem okay you will not be able to you'll be able to sin outside the new jerusalem which will be on planet earth but you will not go in the new jerusalem until you have taken of the river of life for your cleansing and the tree of life for the healing so once you've taken of the tree of life then their sin decay degeneration no longer resides in your body and you become like one of the angels so i don't know if if the option for sin is taken away but i i think certainly any physical um fleshly desire temptation to sin is removed because suddenly you have a completely new nature and you're gonna be a whole lot wiser you know why would you go back and suddenly do something really stupid so um so i don't i don't think it's going to be plausible or really you will i don't think you'll have the potential to sin in that sense anymore 
Um, and I can't imagine why anybody who gets in the New Jerusalem with their new body, uh, with a new nature, with a, a, uh, a perfect moral state at that point, would ever want to go back because none of the, the the cravings of the flesh will be there anymore. So now again, I, I suppose I could be wrong, but I, I don't see how that is, is at all possible. Um, so the good question, uh, Gavin, let's see, will the new Jerusalem be here on earth or as large as it is, might it be a city beyond the cosmos and another dimension accessible through a portal? Great question. Uh, in my opinion, it's going to be here on earth. As I suggested, it will be uh, 192 miles square at the bottom and then 192 miles to the top, roughly. Or I should I say the edges of this pyramid will each each edge will equal 192 miles. So that is still uh, 30 times 32 or 33 times higher than Mount Everest. Mount Everest is about six miles high. So this is an enormous enormous mountain city that we're looking at and it's going to be sloped okay obviously like a pyramid or a mountain and so then you will have city structures you'll have buildings that will be coming up the side of it i also suggest that it will be something similar to a step pyramid so you'll have these these uh platforms and then they will go down uh like you've seen the ziggurat uh of ancient babylon so there will be again this is this is my suggestion but i think we'll have levels on the outside of this in how long how wide they will be each one i don't have no idea but let's say they're a mile just for the sake of simplicity so let's say you have a mile of flat terrain on the outside of the city and then it, it juts up maybe another mile and then you got another mile let's say something like that i haven't worked out the all the math on that exactly but you know something similar to that and then there will be living space on the outside of the city. Uh, I remember, you know, be, years before when I thought it was a cube, I thought we we're all going to be inside the city. We're going to, you know, and I think there's potential. I think it very well it could be, it could be uh, uh, transparent on the outside, and it it could be hollow on the inside as well, so that there, you know, maybe some incredibly gorgeous living quarters on the inside, or or city, or whatever God's going to put in there. But I also think it can be both on the inside and the outside. And really, the dimensions are much more in tune with planet Earth. So 192 miles, uh, where, where, of course, they're very big. But it's still, it's not like a, a cube that's just sitting on the planet that's 100 and, or excuse me, 1,378 miles. Insanely, uh, you know, what's the big word you know ginormous or something right that that it, it's completely at odds with the terrain of, of planet earth but 192 miles very big but it still will fit comfortably on the planet it'll be in, insanely tall it'll still be you know going out into space uh but i don't think there's any need for it to be in, in another dimension because i think the whole point is that the blood of Jesus brought together all things in heaven and earth. So it was the blood of Jesus that brought the two dimensions, or should I say, will bring the two dimensions back together again. I think right now we live in our terrestrial dimension or this physical plane that we understand. And God and the angels and the, the fallen angels, they live in another dimension that we cannot access. Uh, except maybe through some weird psychedelic drugs and, of course, death. Uh, so 
once the veil between heaven and earth goes away, it, it, it that is basically the portal between the two dimensions, and that is going to go away. So there'll be no more need for a portal. The new Jerusalem, which exists in a different dimension today, will then reunite with the earth, and we will all exist in the same plane of existence. Uh, there will not be other dimensions uh, that we cannot access. Now, you know, of course, God is still, you know, pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that we will fully understand God because we will not. And, you know, he probably exists in dimensions that we cannot even fathom. But, you know, aside from that, uh, we will be like the angels. So we will have the same capacity as the angels. And we will also be on the earth. So I don't think there'll be any having to go back and forth between these dimensions, but we will all be a reunited in one dimension. I think that's how it's going to work. So great question. Thank you, Gavin. Uh, another another question here. Um, hello, Vahid. All right, John Anan. Uh, the two witnesses rule the millennium, one king and the other high priest on earth. Jesus rules from heaven as both king and high priest, as things of heaven are higher than things of earth. Okay. Uh, interesting thought. I'm not sure of the question there, but that's good. Um, yeah, uh, just a kind of a, a question mark here. On on earth as it is in heaven, as above, so below. Uh, well, let me just clarify that. What I was suggesting is that Satan and the occult practices are operating on that principle because it's a true principle. And they want to recreate here on planet Earth the things above. So what are the things above? Well, it's, you know, obviously heaven, obviously the domain of God and the city of God, the new Jerusalem. So he wants to recreate what is above down here on Earth. Now, I'm not saying he's right in doing that, but I think that is what he's trying to do. And so that gives us just some of the clues. And I was talking about the on the back of the dollar bill, the all seeing eye, which, again, this is Satan. He presumes himself to be king of the mountain, but we know who the real king of the mountain is. It's, it's actually God. And what I'm suggesting is that the new Jerusalem will look something similar, not exactly the same, but something similar uh, to this. Now, I've, I've already shown the evidence for this in, in a different video. I've shown that the new Jerusalem is a mountain. John got to see the mountain up close. Ezekiel got to see the mountain from far away. Uh, we see that, you know, you have come to Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, right, to the uh, the city of, of the living God, according to Hebrews, excuse me, Hebrews chapter two. So so based on that, we have very strong evidence that this new Jerusalem is, in fact, a mountain, not a cube, as we have often been told. So uh, I hope that uh, I hope that helps. Uh, OK. Brilliant, uh, brilliant radiance. Uh, please list the properties of living water. Uh, good question. Well, living water, according to scripture, uh, really what living water is, is it's flowing water. That's what makes something living water. Uh, we know from the requirements of a mikvah, it had to have living water, and uh, which is maim chaim in Hebrew. And all that means is it's running water. It's, it's water that's not stagnant, but it's moving. Okay, so that's what makes something living water now clearly what comes out of the throne of god must be a little bit different i i presume it's going to be h2o as we understand h2o but 
given the fact that there will be no more death, and this is coming straight from the sources, as as fresh as you can possibly get, coming right from God. So, whatever has happened to our water, um, you know, certainly we have pollution nowadays, but not only at that macro level, but at the micro level, you know, what is in water? Now, I'm not a a water specialist, I'm not going to pretend to be, but from what I've heard, um, you know, there are different qualities of water. There are, of course, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the, I can't think of the name of this, the, the, there's some water system where they, they claim that their water is actually molecularly different and it, it's better and it helps you live longer and all this stuff. And I don't know if those claims are true, but given with that idea that there may be something that is chemically or atomically different or enhanced, or shall I say perfect, about the water that comes out from God, whereas the water we have today is still really good, but it's not going to well up in you a spring of life. Jesus said, if you take of this water, you're going to die. But if you take of the water that I will give you, it will spring up in you a, a well of life. So I would suggest that it's still made of uh, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. But there will be some something different at the atomic or maybe the the quark level or the string theory level i don't know but something that is fundamentally better about the water that is coming out of god's throne uh, aside from that i don't know uh question doug Hamp doesn't subscribe to flat earth no i don't uh, i think that's uh, an unfortunate uh teaching so if anybody wants to debate that i'm always happy to do that but we won't do it right here or no so um so the living water will be better than the Kangen water. There's that's the that's the term. Yes, I would suggest that it's better than Kangen water. And again, whether the, the claims of Kangen water that it's actually healthier for you and it's different on a molecular basis. If that's true, I I don't know. But those are the claims that they put forward. Uh so yes, it will be better, far better than that. Okay, uh Damon asks How do you feel the large number of Christians we see who are absolutely convinced that God put Trump in the White House to carry out a righteous agenda. Yeah, that is off topic. Um, I'm going to leave that one for now because that is very much off topic. Uh, we'll have to discuss that another day. Um, but I'll just say we should always be careful of who we put our trust in. So, uh, you know, beyond that, I, I don't know. Um, okay, <laughs> Savio, is there sex in the New Jerusalem on the, for the resurrected saints? Sorry, strange question. Well, uh, it's a fair question. Okay, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think I... I get it. You know, uh, it's a fair question. It, there will be reproduction and, and or sex uh, for those who are mortal because they will have children. But Jesus told us that uh, those who are considered worthy to attain to the resurrection of those days will neither marry nor be given in marriage for they will be like the angels for they cannot die. So what that tells you is what that tells us is that uh, we who have our new bodies will not be engaging in reproductive activities. Now, you might say, well, gee, that's a bummer. That's uh, one of the nice things of life. But God tells us in Psalm 16 that there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Okay. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, the joy of reproduction is something that God gave. um, And, you know, it helps sweeten life. But there will be pleasure centers that we don't even know about yet that god is going to reveal their pleasures at his right hand forevermore okay so 
Uh, I've heard it said that um, that uh, sexual intercourse is on, if you take, there's like a scale, a pleasure scale, and that's like an 800, uh, whereas things like uh, crack or LSD is on, you know, like a thousand plus. All right. Now, again, I'm not encouraging anybody to do that, but I'm just giving a comparison that, you know, obviously uh, human reproduction is something that is very pleasurable and it, it's one of the, you know, the greats in life, but there will be pleasures that are far more incredible in the age to come. And it says forevermore. So the good news, uh, whereas, um, you know, lovemaking can be a, a rather short experience, this will be something that will go on and on and on and on. And I, I would suggest that we'd be like, well, why would I go back to that? I mean, it was nice, but this is amazing, you know, and it's continual. You oh, you have a constant high uh, in the age to come and not just a fleeting pleasure, but an enduring in, uh, pleasure. So I, I think that's good. I, I'm glad you asked the question, Savio. I, 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 you know, I that was one of those tricky questions, but I, I think it's it's a fair question. and It's kind of something we we often can think about. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Everybody, uh, thank you for your questions. It's really been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed this. I'm going to be doing more videos where I, I have uh, the audience interaction at the end with the, the questions and such. So thank you. I will be looking, of course, in the comment section uh, once the video is uh, fully posted online, and uh, I'll be checking it out. So stay in the Word. If it's not in the Bible, then you don't have a theology. We have to take what we believe from the Bible. I, I've tried to fill in a few things with some holy imagination, but I did my best to tell you where I was speculating. But where things are clearly written in Scripture, go with those things. And those are the only things that we should go with as an absolute fact or dogmatically. The things that are just not there, don't go with them. But the things that are, let's run with those and enjoy those. And so I want to encourage everyone to stay in the Word. Uh, please do go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Make sure to hit that little bell. You'll get notified of uh, other shows that i do and if you want to give you can just click on the little button at the top the patreon button and that is a way to uh, donate to the channel helps uh, keep the lights on and keep doing the research and putting out the shows so until next time everyone god bless you take care